Well, please turn in God's Word to the Old Testament once again, but this time to the book of Exodus and chapter 20. Exodus 20 and verse 12. It's on page 74 in the Church Bible, and we read together uh, the words of the fifth commandment, Exodus 20 and verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We're familiar, uh, I'm sure, with the fact that there are two halves to the law, the Ten Commandments, two tables, as they're known, uh, of the commandments. Uh, There is our duty to God first, and then our duty to others, summed up by Jesus in the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And there has been, uh, in the course of history, a debate about which of these two tables the fifth commandment belongs to. The Jews divide the commandments into two equal halves. They say that one to five are about our duty to God, and six to ten are about our duty to others. They include the fifth commandment as part of our duty to God. And the reasoning is that, at least in childhood, parents represent God to their children. They mediate God's law and his authority and his rule to their children. But the traditional Christian understanding is probably better, that this is the first commandment about our duty to other human beings. But it is at least, I think, a transitional commandment. It's like a bridge between our duty to God and our duty to others, because it has to do with our duty to those who are over us, almost in between God on the one hand, in the first four commandments, and others in commandments 6 to 10 who are on a level with us. I want us to think this morning particularly about the importance of this commandment. And you don't need me to elaborate on just how important uh, this commandment is in the context of our own day. Uh, At this particular moment in history, it has never been more urgently needed. So let's look together, first of all, at the priority of the commandment. The priority of the commandment. Because the fifth commandment is the first commandment which has to do with our duty to other human beings. And perhaps it strikes you as a slightly strange choice of commandment to put here first If it were left to you and to me to arrange the last six commandments in order, and we didn't have this template, obviously, to think about and to work from, I wonder, is this the one that we would choose to put first? 
I imagine that many of us would think that do not murder ought to come first, or do not commit adultery. Surely those commandments ought to take priority over honoring our parents. But God in His infinite wisdom has chosen to put this commandment first as He instructs us about our duty to other people. And so it's worth asking the question, why? Why should that be? Why does this commandment come first? And surely at least one reason is because every single human being, without exception, has a mother and a father. The relationship between a child and his or her parents is the only relationship that is true of everyone. We don't all have brothers and sisters. We don't all have wives and husbands. We don't all have sons and daughters or cousins and so on. But everyone has a mother and a father. And for that reason, that simple biological reason, the family is the basic building block of society. Now, that used to be taken for granted. The United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was drafted in 1948, says that the family is the natural and fundamental group unit of society. That's a remarkable thing for a secular body to say. The family is the natural and fundamental group unit of society. Now, of course, that fact is greatly obscured and disputed today. But it doesn't make it any less true. And if we tamper with the foundation, if we mess with the family, then it's only a matter of time, isn't it, before the whole structure of society comes crashing down to the ground. If we go wrong on the family, then we can't help but go wrong in the whole of society. And conversely, if we build strong family life, then many, in fact most of the other evils of society, will simply cease to be problematic. Someone who has learned to honor authority and to respect others in the home is much, much more likely to respect authority outside the home. They're much less likely to commit murder or adultery or theft. On the other hand, if someone can't even honor and respect and obey their own parents who love them and who care for them more than anyone else in the whole world, what chance is there that they will honor and respect anyone else, least of all complete strangers? Home is the first contact we have with authority. We're born into a world of authority, and we need to learn what that involves, and we need to learn how to submit to authority as soon as possible. No society can function when authority is ignored. That is called anarchy. 
That's what we see in the days of the judges, isn't it? In the Old Testament, when there was no king in Israel and everyone did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. If parents won't submit, if children won't submit to their parents' authority, then there is slim chance that they will submit to anyone else's. Stable, obedient families produce stable, law-abiding societies. I saw this illustrated in a very uh, provocative and, and tragic article written by John Piper some years ago. He wrote an article pleading with parents to require obedience from their children, to insist that their children learn to obey them. Because over and over again, he watched young children, I mean, these are not teenage children, this is young children who paid no attention whatsoever to their parents' commands. And there were no consequences whatsoever. Parents tell a child to do something twice, three times, four times, five times. And in the end, after six or seven instances of disobedience, they laughingly bribe their child, which may or may not achieve the result of getting obedience. And there were two things in particular that prompted him to write the article, pleading with parents to insist on requiring obedience from their children. The first thing was the story of the killing of 13-year-old Andy Lopez in Santa Rosa, California. This teenage boy was shot by police and he was shot by police because they thought that he was about to shoot them with an assault rifle. It turned out that it was a toy gun. But the police had told the boy twice to drop the gun. And he didn't. And in the end, instead, he turned it on them and they fired. Now, Piper says that he didn't know the details it wasn't known if Andy had even heard what the police were telling him to do. But the question that Piper was asking was this. What if he did? As is entirely possible, what if that 13-year-old boy did hear the police telling him to drop the gun? And he simply didn't do it. He simply defied them. Because he had been practicing all his life disobeying whatever he was told to do by those in authority over him. That was the first thing that prompted Piper to write the article. The second was something that he witnessed on a plane journey. He says, I watched a mother preparing her son to be shot. Now that's pretty strong language, but this is what he said. I watched a mother preparing her son to be shot it was a boy of seven who was playing on his iPad on the plane. And they were about to take off, and so the stewardess announced that all electronic devices should be turned off for takeoff. And the seven-year-old boy just completely ignored what he was told to do and carried on playing with the iPad. And the mother didn't require that he turn off the iPad. 
And then as the stewardess walked past, she told the boy, you need to turn that off. And she walked on. And again, he didn't do it. And the mother didn't require him to do it. She didn't say, son, stewardess said, you've got to turn it off. So everybody has to turn off their iPads and their electronic devices. And then the stewardess came back and said, you're going to have to give that to your mother now. It has to be turned off. And so at that point, he turned it off. And as soon as the stewardess sat down and was out of sight, the boy immediately took out the iPad and turned it on again and kept it on all through the takeoff. And the mother said absolutely nothing. Piper said to himself, that mother is training her son to be shot by the police. She's teaching her son, if you don't want to obey those in authority, you don't have to obey them. You don't have to listen to them. If you think that their rules are stupid, if you think that they're wrong, If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do what anybody tells you to do. If the police tell you to drop your toy gun, you don't have to do it. You just do whatever you want to do, son. And so Piper wrote this article pleading with parents, you must require obedience from your children. They must know that whenever you tell them to do something, They will do it. They have to do it. Isn't that right? So that when suddenly they're about to run out onto the road in front of an oncoming vehicle and we tell them to stop, they will stop because from the very moment of their birth, they have become conditioned that they obey the voice of their parents. Whatever they're being told to do, however ridiculous it seems, Whether it makes sense to them or not, they must obey whatever their parents tell them to do. Please insist on obedience from your children. Obedience without delay, without complaint, without argument of any kind. You know the saying, give me the child and I will give you the man. And we ignore this commandment at our peril. And that is exactly what our nation has done, isn't it? We've tampered with the foundation, thinking that there won't be any consequences because the building didn't come crashing down around us immediately. But this process, when you tamper with the foundation, the process is gradual. It is imperceptible. It is a creeping thing. You introduce rot into the foundations of a building, it's not going to collapse immediately. It might take years and years before it becomes noticeable. It might be decades before the building actually falls, but it will fall in the end if the foundation is rotten. And that's where we are now, isn't it, as a society? And we are seeing the whole society beginning to crumble because we have ignored, because society has ignored, this first and most basic and most fundamental of all of our responsibilities to others. And it's too late to undo these tragic mistakes. 
The damage is done. We can't go back 30 years or 50 years. And so we need to get down on our knees and plead with God to have mercy upon us as a nation and to intervene and send revival and change the hearts of the people of this nation. The priority of the commandment. Then secondly, we see the principle of the commandment. The principle of the commandment. What is the principle that's being taught here? Obviously, the primary application is that we should honor our parents. But it's more than that. It's broader than that. It's not just about our natural biological parents. Because the principle of the fifth commandment is that we are to honor all those who are set in authority over us. And at this point, I want to commend to you all again the larger catechism, uh, which is excellent on all of the commandments, and it gives a very full and practical treatment of them. Let me quote to you from question 124 of the larger catechism. Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? And the answer, not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. Family, church, or state. I think I changed it to state in the children's sheet. The Bible uses the term father to describe these different positions of authority. Kings are called fathers. Prophets and elders and masters and old men are all called fathers in the Bible. And so, although the primary application of this commandment is to our natural parents, it is legitimate to see in this command the application to those who are set over us in authority by God. And we are to give due honor to those whose position and gifts entitle them to it. So, in other words, this commandment has something to teach us about our attitude towards and our behavior towards government officials, health and safety inspectors, the taxman, the police, judges, elders in the church, CY leaders, Sabbath school teachers, school teachers, headmasters, prefects. The list goes on and on. The principle of this commandment is that we are to honor all who are in authority of any kind over us, whether that is in the state or in the church or in the school. That means, boys and girls, that when a grown-up in the congregation tells you to do something, you have to do it, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with them or not whether all your friends are doing it or not. You have to do what you're told. If they tell you to get off a windowsill, not to stand on a radiator, not to get the toys out of the store that belong to Trinity Tots and play with them after church, 
You're not supposed to run on the carpet. Whatever a grown-up in the church tells you to do, this commandment tells us that God says you must obey. You don't argue. You don't stare back defiantly. You don't say something cheeky. You don't wait until the grown-up goes away and then you go back and carry on doing exactly what they told you not to do. When you disobey grown-ups in the church, those who are your superiors in age or gifts, then you are breaking this fifth commandment and you're disobeying God himself. And the fact that those in authority are described in this commandment using parental language teaches us something about the attitude that we should have towards them who are in authority over us. The fact that they're styled fathers and mothers tells us something about our attitude. When we submit, when we obey what those in authority over us tell us to do, we're not to do it in a resentful, surly, grudging, grumpy way. We're not to do it with gritted teeth. And again, that's what the Catechism tells us in question 125. Why are superiors styled father and mother? Superiors are styled father and mother both to teach them in all duties towards their inferiors, like natural parents, to express love and tenderness to them. So it has something to say to those who are in authority. We have to behave to those who are under our care like fathers and mothers. We are to treat them with compassion and love. And to work inferiors to a greater willingness and cheerfulness in performing their duties to their superiors as to their parents. In other words, when we submit to our teachers at school, our professors at university, the police, the taxman, the government, the elders of the church, whoever it is that God has put an authority over us, as we submit to them, we are to be doing it as to our parents. We are to do it cheerfully and happily. It's no coincidence, the Catechism says, that those in authority over us are described in parental terms. Their role is that of a protector, a helper, an educator, and it's our duty to respond to that with love and with affection. I will think more this evening about what that means in practice. But for now, just observe this principle. God requires us to give honor to all those who are set over us in authority. He has put them there. Whether you voted for them or not, whether in the church or in the state, doesn't matter. Whether you agree with their policies is neither here nor there. God has set them in authority over you, and so you must, we must obey them. Who are the authority figures in your life? Who are the people that God has put over you? Are you giving them the honor that God commands? And again, this shows us the priority. It brings us back to the first point, doesn't it? it shows us the priority, the importance of this commandment for building a stable society. It's a safeguard against anarchy. It's a preventative check against all the other commandments being broken. If we could just get this one right, then all the others 
would naturally and logically follow on from it. The priority of the commandment, the principle of the commandment, and then thirdly and lastly, the promise of the commandment. The promise of the commandment. The Apostle Paul quotes this commandment in Ephesians 6, 2 and 3, and he comments that this is the first commandment with a promise. Now, in fact, it's the only commandment out of the Ten Commandments that has a promise attached to it. But Paul is probably thinking in, in, in Ephesians there of the Ten Commandments as the introduction to and the summary of the whole of the law that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. So this promise is given as an added incentive to keep this commandment, as if all that we've thought about already isn't enough. God gives us a promise. And what is the promise? Well, you have it there in Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. When it's restated in Deuteronomy 5, 16, uh, it's put slightly differently, or elaborated a little, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. If you want to prosper in the promised land of Canaan that I'm giving to you, then honor your father and your mother. That's the prosperity gospel. Honor your father and your mother. Paul changes it slightly to make it apply not just to the Jews entering the promised land, uh, which of course had happened 1,500 years before he wrote Ephesians. He widens it out to refer to all people everywhere at all times. He says, honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So this is not just a promise for Jews going into Canaan. This is for you and for me today. It will go well with you and you will enjoy long life on the earth. Now, what does that promise mean? Well, it's not a guarantee of old age to obedient children. It's not that God supernaturally alters our biology so that we don't get disease if we always did what mommy and daddy told us to do. And it's not that people who die young didn't honor their parents. That's not how we're meant to understand this promise. This promise is a general principle for the individual and for society as a whole. If we honor our parents, generally speaking, it will go well with us and we will enjoy long life on the earth. That's true for us personally and it cascades down to, to, to be true of the whole of society. If you think about it, a child who honors his or her parents by respecting them, by listening to their warnings and their advice, by learning from their experience and putting it into practice, children like that tend not to make a mess of their lives. It's not an ironclad guarantee, but generally speaking, that's the case. 
Children like that don't get into bad company. They don't do drugs. They don't abuse alcohol. They don't spend their money foolishly. They eat well. They work hard. They live sensibly. They respect authority. And all of that conspires together to produce a happy life. Whereas children who ignore the good and wise and loving guidance of their parents, children like that, by and large, tend to wreck their lives. And their lives tend to be cut short by their excessive wild lifestyles. And that's not just true individually, it's true for the whole of society, isn't it? Can you imagine what it would be like if everyone lived out the fifth commandment? Our world would be a wonderful place. Everyone's life would be prolonged. Everyone's quality of life would be increased. And that brings us back to what we saw at the beginning. The family is fundamental to a healthy society. We would have a society where people respected the elderly. There wouldn't be any muggings or break-ins or scams. Nobody would need to be afraid to walk in the streets. One writer says, if we build a society where old age has a place of honor, we can hope to enjoy that place one day in our turn. In other words, we will live long and we will fare well in the land. Authority would be given its proper respect and obedience. Crime rates would plummet. Antisocial behavior would cease. Schools would be places of learning instead of an exercise in crowd control, as many of them are. Better educated children would lead to more productive adult members of society, and that would filter down into the arts, into the media, into science, into politics. And the result, corporately, nationally, would be that it would go well with us, with all of us, and we would enjoy life on the earth. Do you just wish that the policymakers in government could see that? and understand that they're marginalizing the family to the cost, to the detriment of the whole nation. The family needs to be strengthened by legislation, not undermined. This promise is a reality, and it needs to be heard, and it needs to be claimed. It's urgently needed in our day. And I wonder, are we all here, of all the people in Northern Ireland today, are we especially convinced of the importance of this commandment? Maybe we have downgraded it in our own thinking. Maybe we have despised it. You certainly wouldn't have thought of giving it this prominence, this position that God has. Sadly, our ways are not always His ways. But he knows best. This is fundamentally important to the well-being of every individual and of the whole nation. The health and prosperity of our society depends on what us who are parents are doing in our homes. There is no more important task that you can do if you're a mother or a father 
and teaching and training your children and bringing them up to obey and to respect those who are in authority over them in obedience, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do that, then society will be a harmonious place. The church, at least the church, this little mini outpost, this colony of heaven, at least the church will be a happy and harmonious place. Maybe it's too late. Maybe we can't change all of society unless God sends revival. But we can at least make the church a happy and harmonious place. But if children will not even honor their parents, they're certainly not going to honor strangers who have no claim on them by blood or by gratitude. So friends, let's commit ourselves again to working at family life, convinced of its vital importance. Let's commit ourselves to regular, believing, earnest prayer for the families of our church, the families of our nation, especially Christian families, that their importance, their vital importance, their fundamental importance will be recognized by the families themselves and by the government, that we may live long and fare well on the earth. Amen. Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you for this beautiful portion of praise that speaks to us of the blessing that you have for those who walk in your way. We thank you that you're the one who directs our steps and makes them firm. And so even though we fall and stumble, uh, we're not cast out because you hold on to us and keep us. And we pray, Lord God, that you will forgive us for how as parents, as those in positions of authority in various places in the church or in schools or in society, uh, forgive us, Lord, we pray, for the ways in which we have stumbled with respect to this command for how we have failed in our duty to those who are under our authority and for how we have failed in those who are in authority over us. We pray, Lord God, that you will so fill us by your Holy Spirit that we would walk in your ways and that we would experience the blessing uh, described here in this psalm, the promise of blessing that you hold out to those who honor their mother and father. Lord God, we pray that you will bless the families of our own congregation. We pray particularly for parents who are bringing up children who are still at that very young and formative stage. We pray that you will give wisdom and grace to bring up their children in grace and with firmness so that they will learn to obey and honor and respect not just their parents in the home, but those in authority over them uh, wherever they go. We pray, Lord God, that you would give help, that you would give uh, the, the, the enabling power of your Holy Spirit to do these demanding things, and especially in the context of our own day when the world and everything around us is uh, making this so, so difficult. We pray, Lord God, that you will help the boys and girls in our congregation to submit cheerfully and willingly to their parents and to all those who are in authority over them. 
And above all, Lord God, may we submit our wills to you, for you are our Father in heaven. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.